0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brother Cousins Podcast, Episode 4. Tonight is a special roundtable edition with all three of the Brother Cousins, Jeffrey Wells, Jared Wells, and myself, Christopher Gerald. In this episode, we're going to be discussing love, the new command older than time, and wrapping up this month's cycle of uh, topics that we've been discussing. So we're going to ask each other some questions. There'll be a little more back and forth. We hope that it's uh, helpful and and beneficial to you. Also, uh, if you haven't and would like to, we would really appreciate uh, your prayerful support of our podcast and the encouragement that we've been getting is so valuable. If you use social media, we would appreciate a like, a follow, a share or any interaction with the podcast that you would like to give us, uh, including feedback, suggestions or questions for Uh, discussions and potentially a future episode. So we thank you very much for everything so far and and value your time. So as you know, if you've listened to episode zero and one through three, we've each been catching different segments of love. Jeffrey went first on the solo episode in episode one, talking about the the biblical value of love from a very high level, and then he kind of put a fine point on it. Um, Jeffrey, I would really love for you to, to kick us off with some of your reflections as we went through this process together. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's something that you learned in your deep dive study into this topic uh, that you would kind of like to reflect on or open up for feedback.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's two major things that, that come to mind whenever I think about what I've learned as I studied this. One of them is more theoretical. And one of them is practical. The theoretical basis is just how much I had overlooked love in the scripture in general. Um, Whenever you consider the statement that all of the law and prophets hang on these two great commands. um, It's something that I've missed the majority of my life. You know, so many times we talk about how the Old Testament in particular focuses on the physical and that God just wants quote-unquote, obedience. And I think a lot of the times we miss some of the passages that talk about, like for instance, God wanting David's heart as a part of that obedience. And so whenever we think about this principle of loving God, that that is the most important, that is the greatest, that in and of itself puts a damper on just a strict obedience that God wants. He wants our love. But then you take that and you extend it to that love that we have for God should also be towards our fellow man, not just, you know, my brother or my cousin or anybody else. It's my neighbor. And that neighbor is defined as anybody that I come in contact with. And so that in and of itself has just been a game changer for me. And the way that I look at theory and scripture theology Um, but then the more practical aspect
0: is so jeffrey you mentioned that there was a piece of that that was the theoretical before we move on to the practical you know you mentioned that this idea of love for god and love for our fellow man is like the bedrock foundation of our faith but yet we we've missed it and I i would agree that i have also missed it to a huge degree in my own life the classic case of can't see the forest for the trees. Why do you think that is that we would miss the big thing?
1: I personally, for me, it is just simply because I've been taught a lot throughout my life that the Old Testament is about the physical. The Old Testament is about obedience um, and that the New Testament has this different end game, which is God wants the heart. And the more that I look at that, the more I don't think that that's completely accurate. I think that we're selling ourselves short, that we've tried to summarize these two covenants so simply that we've missed some of that big picture item. Jared, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Uh, Just that I thought you did a really good job of pulling that out. Really what Christ was talking about in the acknowledgement and lack of his correction to the attorney that. This is greater than all of the sacrifice. Jesus didn't say, no, you're wrong. And and he Jesus is the one that put the standard on it. On this hangs everything. God has always desired and deserves man's heart.
0: Wow. Yeah. I think that we set up a false dichotomy of of the physical, the spiritual, and and dividing those covenants. But the truth is that human nature and, and human need is the same in both. And we have to pay attention to both of those. I think that's a good point. So you mentioned the practical piece. What uh, what were your reflections on the practical piece?
1: So the practical piece really came into that second greatest command, and that is to love your neighbor. And it's not just to love your neighbor. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as I started to think about all of the energy, the passion, the fervor that I have to accomplish my own good, that all demonstrates how much I love myself. It's assumed that I love myself. That's why it's not included in that command. And so he says, take the love that you have for self, take that same energy and fervor and passion and zeal and translate that to your neighbor. And to me, that's the practical aspect of this is being able to reflect on all the things that I do for myself and all the time that I spend for myself and on myself, and shifting that to love my neighbor in the same way. So I'm
0: I'm kind of having these flashbacks for from an episode of Andy Griffith where, uh, Gomer is saved from a fire by Andy. And then he's in their house doing all kinds of stuff. He's doing all these favors. He's shingling the roof at two in the morning, that kind of stuff. And so I think the struggle maybe I have and others have is how can we be as fervent in our love for our neighbor as we are for ourselves, without coming off as obtrusive or getting in their business?
2: And I think that's where that idea of sharing a standard within the family of God comes into play because to, to fulfill that command, the way it's given to devote as much energy, energy to someone's life. And yes, as Americans, we're very individualistic, but that's not common only to us. Other people have felt that way. We see it in in old writings. And so we need to accept that part of other people's Christianity is this drive to do for others, and we can't fulfill the law of Christ unless we're bearing each other's burdens, and to do that requires me to open up and say, here's what I've got going on and would like help with.
0: So maybe what I'm hearing is that sharing of love to others is easier within the context of a local church body, may get a little more complicated and require some more finesse as we show our love to our friends and neighbors who maybe don't have a faith community.
2: And I don't know that easier as much as we have that standard easier in the fact that we have the standard with each other that we should share that and and with that comes the idea that we need to be able to say hey let me love you let me be giving and sacrificial to you and in that practice we learn to do that and show that to the world and as people see that within our community they understand what that looks like and the reason and drive motivation behind it so it feeds off of that and, and drives it forward
1: I think to add a little bit to that, Jared, you know, you talk about the the difference being a believer should make, and it does make because we're coming from that similar standard. And that's what makes Christopher's question so difficult to answer is because we're dealing with people who aren't coming from a similar standard, and we're dealing with people who, whenever you treat them, with the same type of zeal and fervor and passion that you would for yourself, that comes off number one is really weird, but number two, very suspicious, (laughs) right? Right. I mean, people are going to think, what do you want from me? Like, what are you trying to get from me? Mm -hmm. They automatically assume these malicious motives because no one else treats them in that way. And that's why this is such a difficult command to really be able to put into practice without that type of hindrance of people constantly questioning you. But I think that you're going to probably come across with a few different responses, one of those being grateful. You know, I I know that there are people in my life who have been grateful because once they realized that there wasn't any type of malice or self-interest in that, it was just simply love. They were very grateful for that. And then you're going to have people who completely rebel against that. And they don't want to have anything to do with you. And that is truth that Jesus spoke. Mm-hmm. The people of the world weren't going to understand his people. And they were going to hate his people because they loved like he did. And it was just so foreign to them.
2: And, and they just keep coming with that love. That was something that Paul tells Timothy, you know, in the first of the book, in the first of the first letter to Timothy, he tells him the end of the commandment is love. And then goes on to tell him not to quarrel about words, charge them not to teach any other doctrine, but you, the servant of the Lord must not strive. We've got to be gentle. And in that context, it's those that oppose themselves by opposing God's word. And our desire and drive is always the good of someone else. And that continual putting ourselves out there again and again and again to be abused hoping and praying that they'll come to repentance in, in God's love.
0: Yeah. Jared, I thought that was a really important part of your uh, talk in episode two about God making himself vulnerable, like the invulnerable God does the only thing he can do to make himself vulnerable, which is to love knowing that in many cases it will not be reciprocated.
2: When I first started studying this topic, Several years ago, that was something that became evident to me early on was that God opened himself to rejection by a creation as feeble as ourselves. When we see God's works and God's miracles throughout the Bible, we stand in wonder and awe, and it's nothing to him. And yet we continually reject his lordship in spite of not just what he can do, but what he has done for us.
0: So what you're saying is that in a God-made creation and creation is totally in submission to him because it's its nature yet we have the ability to rebel. We look at miracles in nature of, you know, calming a storm or changing water to wine, but to God that's just the rearrangement of molecules, but the real miracle is when God can love a heart with a choice and that heart chooses to respond in mutual love to him. That is a real miracle, which we actually got to witness a week ago. We had a, a man um, obey the gospel um, who came to our congregation from the community. And it was very moving just to watch the miracle of God's word work gently on a person's heart to bring about salvation. And it was awesome.
2: Yes, sir. I'd say that's a really good summary. That...
0: So what else, Jared, about, about your topic of the um, the agape definition of love in the scripture was revealing to you.
2: Mine ties back to Jeffrey as I sat down to study what Jesus was talking about when he said a new command. I, I think it's multifaceted and it's deeper than than I can truly understand. I think part of it plays into his statement of how I love, love as you've been loved. And that there's an acknowledgement that I'm holding back some from other people. And saying, Well, I wouldn't do that for myself. And there's a point at which you know I've got to cut myself off or whatever the case may be. And, and Jesus shows us that it, it doesn't matter. It's a complete self-denial. And that's what throwing back to what Jeffrey talked about, God wanted in the first place. And Jesus reiterates that and shows that to us and phrases that as, as a new command. And how what was probably most revealing to me, and, and it hurts, is how I have felt that time and again as I worry about what I want, worry about what I want to do, what's good for me, what's good for my family, what we see as best. And I continually put that forward instead of putting it in the rear view where it belongs.
0: Yeah, I feel the exact same way, Jared. Uh, The idea of loving my neighbor as myself, well, if I can just imagine in my mind this scenario where well, I wouldn't expect my neighbor to do this for me, then that means I don't have to do that for them. That means I get to leave them alone, and not show them the kind of love that God commanded. And I'm still okay in my conscience, but I think we both realize that's a smokescreen. Yes, sir. I definitely
2: did.
1: Yeah, you know, and that's something that really stuck out to me about your section, Jared, is often we speak of the New Testament being easier to live under than the Old Covenant. But whenever you consider the first and second greatest commands in relation to the New Command, The new command is just so much more difficult. Showing those qualities of love the way that God showed us is so much harder than me loving my neighbor as I love myself. And I I think that that's something that we should talk about more often is that new command is so much more difficult to obey, but it's also so much more powerful Whenever it's put into practice, you know, here a few weeks ago here at Concord, we, we had a gentleman introduce an idea to me that I had never considered before. And it was revolving around, you know, loving the people who are close to you, loving the people who love you. And he said, you know, Jesus's point when he taught about that was that even the sinner loves the people who love them back. And what's so radical about what Jesus teaches us to do is the people who don't love us, we're supposed to love them the way God has loved us. And what that should do is produce in them that the sinner is going to love you back because you showed them the same type of love that God loved you with. And it was just a a mind-blowing concept to me that if we show the love of God, to sinners, then they'll love us in return, or at least they should theoretically. And that was just mind-blowing to me. Um, What do you guys think about something like that?
0: Yeah, I think you're really onto something because think about Israel. They had God's word. They knew what what God's love looked like from a textual perspective. But when God really wanted to show his love, what did he do? He sent Jesus and he showed them what love looks like in action. And so if that's God's approach, you know, we can say, well, the Bible is there. If, if people want to find God, they can read the Bible. Well, that's also a smokescreen because uh, God's example, Jesus' example is to send someone who already has God's love and then demonstrate it to people who haven't known it. So if, when we do that, we are being Christ in miniature in a way that's tangible, in a way that allows the fruit of the spirit the ability to work on the heart and then we give them the seed of the word as they consume it
2: and christopher you hit on something that i felt like i didn't do justice in mine and as much time as i spent on it and took giving the podcast was that idea part of loving the way christ loves being filled with god's love to the point where we overflow the only way to to love sacrificially is to understand where that love comes from and to Understand and know it from God in our lives, to acknowledge everything God has done for us, and then, then turn around and give that to other people. And, and part of that, what Jesus did, loving humanity, was to make that path in whatever way we can. We're, we're not Christ. I can't sacrifice for sinners in the way that he did, but I have a way that I can do that. And it means giving of myself as much as I can mm-hmm. and within my ability to do what Christ did and show the path to God.
0: Right. And I think that was probably my biggest takeaway, Jared, whenever I was looking at barriers to loving one another, you know, first I realized that the biggest barrier to love was me (laughs) quite frankly, and, and uh, being in love with myself. And I I was trying to think of like, why can't I just love others like I need to? And the answer was that it's because I hadn't put God um, as, as the horse to pull that cart. And, you know, you talk about being full of that love that can then spill to others. It's like the, the example I used in 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul describes the love of the Macedonian brethren. In Second Corinthians 8, um, in verse 5, he says, And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so that's the, I think, the secret sauce is to making sure that we have given our love to God so fervently That that empowers us to actually love more to other people. Once we give ourselves to God, it gives us the freedom to love others as God would. To me, I think that was the thing that was missing from me. And when we put a love for God as maybe the baseline um, to our our soundtrack of our life, then the melody of loving our neighbor as ourselves can really come through. For me, that was a huge revelation in the scripture to me.
1: Yeah, and that's something, you know, that I, as I studied my part that became very clear in terms of the way that we can re- truly be able to put into action the second greatest command is by devoting ourselves to the first. And with your your podcast, you know, th- the biggest hindrance to my love is me. It's because we are selfish. We're selfish not only with our time and our resources, But even with our love, we want to limit our love because we're so scared we're going to run out and we won't have enough left for ourselves. And so, you know, that's where that, that idea of whenever I have another child really starts to come into play to illustrate how your love should be able to grow whenever it's not limited. Because I remember whenever we had, we were pregnant with Charlie, we had Joanne already asking how am I going to be able to love Charlie as much as I love Joanna? Because I know how much I love Joanna right now. But then as soon as Charlie came around, it was very clear to me that I didn't have to take some love from, from Joanna and give it to Charlie. My love just automatically increased. And so really devoting ourselves to God and loving God really empowers us to stop hindering ourselves in loving others, because it's really not as self-threatening as we think it is.
0: So, Jeffrey, does that concept scale up to like having an insane amount of kids, like like six? Is that true even in that case, too?
1: I can't speak to that
2: experience, but I think
1: somebody else can.
2: <laughs> I can definitely speak to that experience, and, and it does. Um, love is not exclusive. It, it's actually the exact opposite. Love cannot be filled up. We seek all these things in this life to find fulfillment and it's paradoxical to our minds, but love can't be filled up, but it fills us up. And as we add to that, putting God in his proper place, we can come to the same statement that Paul made in second Corinthians. I am willing to spend and be spent. And the only way we can get to that place where we stop saying, but I'm not going to have anything left is by putting God in his proper place. And, Understanding that that's coming from him because of ourselves, we're incomplete. We see the world loving those that love them, doing good to those that do good to them, but stopping right there, and no one else gets any of that. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. What are some other observations or uh, poignant ideas that you guys have had through this process?
2: So, to yours, and you hit on something that I found when I started studying this, and it's a continual learning process for me if nothing else, learning to implement. And that's that love and pride do not coexist. Um, and pride manifestation of seeking my own good, getting in the way. And, and I put my family in front of that and say, well, you know, it's not me, it's my family. And like you said, it's a smoke screen because I'm still looking to do good to my own. And I would say, what what all did you kind of pick through that process of learning where we're insufficient and getting out of God's love's way.
0: Yeah, well, I think that the, the key for me was recognizing that I had, <clears throat> excuse me, that I had been deceiving myself and I had been putting up these smoke screens. Uh, and that's the thing about pride is that pride is insidious because it longs to hide itself so that it's invisible to the person who commits it. And then to disguise itself as a virtue. And it honestly, whenever I listen to Jeffrey's piece, it, it just hit me like a hammer, dude. Uh, it convicted me to, the, to my core. And um, I had to confess that I had been selfish. And it, it really was a game changer for me. Just this idea that it was the main thing. And if I can, in my mind, if I can quote unquote obey a command while being not loving to someone, I'm missing everything and I'm not doing it right. And I just realized that I was not doing it right. And I was deeply convicted on that point. So I just appreciate
1: I'm appreciative to God uh, for Jeffrey being able to show that to me. Well, and that that takes a lot of humility just to consider, consider that in and of itself. and And that was something that I I walked away from with this study because whenever I first started studying this is it was at the beginning of Covid nineteen. and it extended into like the political arguments. And I kept finding myself having these thoughts that were not loving. I mean, just simply mm-hmm. put, they just weren't loving. Same and there. and it just it really opened the, the the scriptures opened my eyes to where I had been missing the mark. And then you add to that mark of that new command of loving the way that God has loved us, and it just makes you. It humbles you just in, because you realize how far you've been missing it. At least it does for me.
0: And a beautiful thing about that is that the self and the pride is the barrier to love. And what's amazing is whenever you make up your mind to love as Christ loved, you then get the liberty to remove yourself from the equation and that just makes the math work <laughs> whenever you're not having these complicating and competing factors. Cause you know, my love for self competes, you know, with my love for other people as a lot. So it just really, it was a, it was a clarifying moment and yeah, I, I agree with all the political stuff and it's still going on. It's just, it's just changed. There, there's still lots of stuff out there that everyone's seeing every day on their social media accounts and, you know, I had this thought the other day. It's like it was a lot easier to love everybody before I knew all their opinions, right? <laughs> but now it's right out there. It's like everybody's wearing their virtue signals and I can see what everybody wants and what everybody thinks I need to do. And and those those feelings have just caused me to actually unfollow a lot of people because like I I don't need to know what everybody thinks. And it allows me to to love easier more easily whenever I don't know everybody's opinion (laughs) maybe that's kind of harsh but that's where i'm
2: at and i mean just piggybacking off of that i've been reminded through everything we've gone through through doing this study together with you guys of how continual a process it is there's a lot of this that i understood from an academic level before going through this again but it was a harsh reminder an unwanted mirror of you're missing it again and and how I need to be reminded over and over and over again, that the drive behind everything I do should be putting Christ's love forward.
0: Right. And Jeffrey said that the command to love as Christ has loved us is so much harder. One of the things that makes it so difficult and daunting, Jared, is that you can never say I'm done loving you can never say i have reached the end of my commitment i have buttoned it up and i'm finished it's like pouring water down a bottomless pit but it's not because god collects every drop
1: it's weird because it's almost like what you're saying is that love never fails wow. love bears all things if right? that's
0: not in the bible it totally should be
2: and and that makes it that may be the most daunting of all of them you know we've grown up hearing and saying you're trying my patience. I've had it up to here. Basically, we're filled up with the bad that's gone on enough to where we can justify stopping whatever it is. And, and we're given those cues where sometimes it's time to move on, but it's always with that drive of winning that person in the end, doing everything possible to win that person in the end. And, and that's not my drive when I get to that point. I'm, I'm just fed up and I've had enough. And thankfully, God has not done but that thank for you. me.
1: But, and that that goes back to the point that you pushed that I really, really liked, and that was you've got to be willing to open yourself up. You've got to be vulnerable. Um, you've got to be willing to let people take advantage of you. And whenever this was your line and all of a sudden they surpass your line, your line moves and you just continue to allow yourself to be opened up and vulnerable and you just continue to love because love endures, love bears, love hopes. And typically, whenever we've
0: reached our, our point, our line, um, we're artificially setting the boundary for failure. Like we are saying, okay, if you do this, then you have failed. But have they really? Because as long as they're still drawing breath, they have not failed. That's our, our own human tendency to say, I'm ready to cut my losses and move on to something that's a lot less painful than whatever this interaction might be. But if we're coming from the place of giving ourselves to God at his disposal, then it makes it a lot easier to say, I'm going to keep giving uh, even when it hurts.
1: So I'm going to shift gears for just a little bit, if that's okay. Um, And it actually goes to Jared's podcast, and something that he did that I really liked. Um, there was a lot about there was a lot in that podcast. Who would have thought that I wasn't the long winded one? Um, but <laughs> the there was so much in rich. there that was good. But I really liked the way that you talked about that love covers sin, but it doesn't allow people to continue in sin. And I was thinking about that in relation to what's taught specifically there in First Corinthians chapter thirteen that love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. And, you know, you can take that so many different ways in terms of application, but I really liked this idea of needing to balance and the diligence that's required to be able to balance this forbearance versus correction. Because I know myself, I don't like correcting people. I don't like having those types of difficult conversations. And so it's really easy for me to fall back and say, I'm going to forbear this one. That's how I'm going to show love with this person. And maybe it's just that I lack the mental fortitude or the maturity to be able to handle that situation. But that's one of the ways that I actually hinder my love towards others is that I fall back on that.
0: Yeah. So Jeffrey, in that way, we're a lot alike. I, I can have the conversation, but it's incredibly uncomfortable. And so having the conversation, whether it's in a, a professional setting as a supervisor, whether it's in the family um, or like with my spouse or in the church, it's easy to say, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one a pass because I love that person. But really, we're just protecting ourselves. Again, another smoke screen detected. I think instead of a smoke detector, we need a smoke screen detector. Um, mine has gotten really good over the last couple of months, but this idea is that even though this is painful, the pain that we experience as we have these discussions is one, probably a sign that we're trying to make it beneficial, right? That our heart is probably in the right place. If we're geared up and looking forward to that confrontation, we're probably not the best person to do it, but I think that's that sacrificial love. It would have been a lot easier for God. As Jared said, he asked the hypothetical question, why can't God just say that everything that humans do is okay? God loved us enough to tell us that it's not okay and give us the solution to make everything okay. And so if I'm going to follow God's example of love, that means confronting a sin in a way that brings restoration and doesn't deepen the conflict.
2: And, and that was something I probably hit on that was a new thought process to me was this idea of acting within the authority. We see in all of these levels, the authority, God making the plan, putting that plan in motion, Jesus fulfilling that plan, being the sacrifice. And he what he does is act expects us to act within our authority to show the path, to be willing to put ourselves out there in a way that, because we could head off, a lot of fights by just coming and blasting somebody and we are so hard on them right from the get-go that all we've accomplished is beating them down so they didn't argue back but to go to them in gentleness and meekness understanding that this is going to be difficult but i have an end goal of doing good for my brother or my sister and bringing them back to back to christ and james says you convert a sinner and cover a multitude of sins. Not that we've paid the sacrifice for that sin, but that we've had a part under God's authority to turn them back and bring them back in love.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it, in a, it's a way that we can work together with God um, as in the ministry of reconciliation, as the scripture talks about, that's the part that we get to play that God has given unto us this ministry that just as Christ was working in the ministry of reconciliation on the cross, reconciling the world to himself, we get to be junior partners in that grand work. And I think that's a part of our, our work as Christians that we neglect a lot because it is so difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because it's so far inside the essence and nature of God and so far outside the essence of self to do so.
2: And, and there are so many ways we can miss that mark, um, like we talked about. We can come on it too strong, come at it from the wrong point of view, come at it with the idea of showing how holy we are, and and all of those things Paul covers in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13. If we're missing love, it's all useless.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to end, Cap, that. Um, I want to shift gears again and introduce our thoughts for next month's uh, series of uh, podcasts and blog posts uh, about love. As we found, as we got into this, we figured out there was a lot more work to do. Jared really paved the way with describing the um, agape love in his podcast, but we thought it would be good to do justice to the other uh, kinds of love as well. So, uh, Jared, what are you bringing us next month?
2: So, we're going to build on this idea of the command being more stringent within the body because we share that and bring brotherly love or philia to the forefront. Awesome. That's going to be
1: good. Jeffrey, what about you? I'm going to be covering storge love, which storge love is something that you don't really find directly in the scriptures. You actually see variations of storge, most notably like a storge, which is the opposite of that type of love. And um, what storge really is, and we'll get into this more and more as as I dig deeper into this, but it's just kind of that natural affection that you might have. Um, You know, I love my dog it's a natural affection and so it, it really um, starts to help us understand why we personally as you know Americans or in our English language use love in some of the ways that we do it we say love but it doesn't mean the same thing all the time because it didn't in Greek either and so'm I'm, I'm looking forward to some of this.
0: That'll be good too. Uh, next month, I'll be talking about the, the Greek word for love, eros, uh, which is a more uh, passionate, fiery, and sometimes a earthly love. Some people uh, liken it to the love between a husband and wife. So I'll try to do that topic uh, justice in a, in a delicate and God-honoring way, but also in a way that can help us to understand the way that when we exercise any of these loves, how can, how can we bring them into submission of Christ and how can we use all of these aspects of love to glorify God and reflect his nature in ourselves? So uh, we really hope that this has been a a helpful uh, discussion. We've had a lot of fun and have, have really grown, I think, through this process. And we appreciate everyone who tunes in and listens. Also want to give another shout out to the Gales, the music group. As Jared calls them, I call it a band, but um, the the band who uh, provides our music, that song is called We Both Knew by the Gales. Check them out on Spotify. Uh, Good music, and I appreciate that. Also, uh, one of the members is a a brother in Christ, so we appreciate that a lot, too. So we hope that you can join us uh, for our next week's installment where Jared is going to talk about that. Leo love and that fondness that we have inside the body of christ again if you haven't give us a like follow subscribe or interact with our posts you can reach us at thebrothercousins.com where we have our corresponding blog articles too and you can check us out wherever you consume podcasts. thank you so very much